0: Are you curious about, interested in, or working within the field of anesthesiology and you are a woman, person of color, or otherwise do not fit the stereotypical image of what an anesthesiologist looks like, then this is the podcast for you. We will discuss what life is like on the other side of the blue drape for us. Issues most relevant, such as what is anesthesia really? And we're not talking textbook definition. Tips for applying, success in residency, life as an attending, and beyond. Join us each week as we take a dive into this rich and often misunderstood field. This is your host, Dr. Alicia Peterson, and welcome to Sivo Sisters. Welcome back, Sivo Sisters. This episode, we are going to chat with Dr. Titi Aina. She's a pediatric anesthesiologist, an educational leader. In this episode, we are going to discuss with one, why first impressions are so important. You'll see the importance of first impressions in Dr. Ina's life. Two, we of course want to know the struggle. So Dr. Ina will share with us some of her struggles along the road to become an anesthesiologist. And then finally, the importance of community. Please enjoy. Y'all, you are in for a treat. I am so excited to introduce Dr. Titi Ina. I know Dr. Aina um, as a, a co-faculty member when I was at Texas Children's. She's an educational leader, currently serving as the Pediatric Anesthesiology Fellowship Director at Texas Children's, but she serves in such a wide range on leadership at many of the national conferences, and we're going to dive into what her journey was. How did she learn about anesthesia? What were some of the lessons that she got along the way? And of course, we always want to know, you know, what are those struggles that you faced and overcome in your process of being the educational leader, uh, academic anesthesiologist that you are today.
1: Thank you so much Dr. Peterson. It is my pleasure to be here with you and congratulations on your amazing podcast.
0: <laughs> Thank you. It's amazing because I got great guests that give us all the juice that <laughs> <laughs> tell us, you know, what what is it about this field? Like how did you how did you learn of it? Um, because I, I think one thing that constantly I come up against when I meet other, you know, Black and Brown uh, medical students, anesthesiology hopefuls, is you know, well, ah, how do I get exposure? How do I get experience? You know, what what was your path?
1: My path into anesthesia came around the age of eighteen. I had to have surgery, and like anyone, of course, who has to have the unknown happen to them, you were terrified out of your mind. And I remember being in the preoperative holding area, just waiting, waiting for that time to come. And in walks this man who I had never seen before, but he is all smiles, so happy, and introduces himself as my anesthesiologist. And he could tell I am clearly nervous and immediately engages with me, calms my nerves. And the one thing that he said that still resonates with me today is, I am here so you don't have to feel any pain. And surely he did his job because the next thing I remember after we went to the operating room was opening my eyes and seeing him smiling. And I said, Yes. I felt nothing. It it was great. And I was impressed. I was impressed that he was able to deliver what he said, that he was able to get me through this very scary moment. And I wanted to be able to do something like that for others. Because I knew at that point already since high school that I wanted to be a physician, but didn't know what kind of physician I would be until I ran into this amazing man. Wow.
0: It must have been quite the impression for that to be sort of the guiding light for you moving forward. I'm in my final year of college.
1: So when I did go into medical school first week, I'm in the anesthesiology department asking to shadow them. I don't think they had a lot of first-year medical students <laughs> asking to shadow. They, the, I remember the chair just looking at me and saying, are, are, are you sure? Wow. And I said, yes, I think this is going to be the field for me. So I began shadowing the anesthesia um, physicians as well, as well as the nurse anesthetists. They were so open and welcoming to me. And it, in my first few years as a medical student, you can imagine when you shadow, you can't do much. You barely know how to take care of patients. Right. So it was really just watching them work. And watching them work was not as thrilling as other experiences of shadowing, like watching a surgeon cut, as opposed to watching an anesthesiologist think. Um, so <laughs> that part was a little bit more challenging to solidify my interest. But, when I finally got to doing electives in anesthesia, I got to be hands on. I was involved in the decision making and the critical thinking that was involved. And I then knew for certain I would be an anesthesiologist.
0: your your enthusiasm coming through the door as a first year, medical student, I'm like, can we just pause at how bold and enterprising you are? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, wow, who would even think? Uh, And then for, and then obviously then you get the hands-on exposure when you were um, a third year or? Yes, earlier in my third and
1: fourth year. So of course, initially it was Kind of having this crush on anesthesia in a way, but then was able to evolve over the years and through the time being exposed to other areas of of medicine, I would look and think, oh, maybe I want to do this and maybe I want to do that, but it always kept coming
0: back to anesthesiology. Wow! And what was it about it for you? Um, Because I know that that anesthesiologist that took care of you as a patient, it it produce just the safety, the security, and this trust um, that you want other patients to feel? As you were doing it yourself, were there other things that came up, other aspects that you're like, wow, I really enjoy this too? In anesthesia, as
1: opposed to sometimes in other areas of medicine, you are able to immediately see the impact of what you are prescribing, what interventions that you would like to see happen. And also, you are more you're hands on. If you want the patient to receive X, you don't just put the order in, but you pick it up from the cart and you draw up the drug and you administer it to the patient. So I like the ownership of the entirety of the patient care that anesthesia allowed. I like the intimate knowledge of pharmacology and physiology that you needed to possess. And I like the fact that as an anesthesiologist, you are truly being of service to the patient at a time when they are most vulnerable and need an advocate and someone to stand in the gaps of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And do you have any um, sort of stories in particular that stand out um, throughout, you know, all of the cases you've done that, you know, really demonstrates. One story um, that stands out
1: to me in particular is um, a newborn, really a um, less than one hour old infant who had a mass of sacral teratoma that was diagnosed before birth and had to have immediate surgery upon delivery. And this child was brought immediately to our operating room. And the surgeons began to work to excise the lesion. But they were also losing so, so much blood in the process. So we had to transfuse several blood volumes, several times the amount of blood that the patient had in their entire bloodstream over just to Keep them alive and sustain them through this life-saving surgery that they needed to have. So being that individual, being an anesthesiologist, to be able to help your patient make it through essential life-saving interventions, life-changing interventions, that is what really brings joy to me each day and what keeps me coming back.
0: Each and every moment to be of service to the patient. Wow, and i've I've been I've done cases like that. It is so scary. I mean, for me, oh, if the patient is like you know, less than a kilo, that's that's when things get really scary. So um, that's that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that when
1: it is most scary is when I feel that. I could, I can I can feel the parents their heartbeat in the room because you you could tell that they are scared out of their minds as well as you are doing all that you can yeah. to get their child safely through.
0: Absolutely. Whew. Talking about medical school, I mean, you came in laser focused, really wanting to explore your interest and curiosity in anesthesiology. Were there any? Um, you know, obstacles, struggles that you face along the, the way. I will say one one of the one of the greatest obstacles
1: really probably was before getting to medical school. And the first obstacle, of course, is the MCAT. I and I had gone to an undergraduate institution that hadn't sent a lot of individuals to medical school. I think the year that I was accepted to medical school, I was one of two or three individuals who had Gone on to medical school. So, needless to say, our preparation to take the MCAT was not on par with others. So, when I initially took the MCAT the first time, I did not perform as well as I wanted to. And I had, I thought in that moment that medicine may have just been a dream that was not going to happen. Mm -hmm. But I am glad to have had such supportive family, supportive friends who encouraged me to take it again, change my strategy and re that exam and get through it. And I did and was able to attend medical school at my top institution, which was in Connecticut, and had a, a great experience. But if I had just given up after that first attempt with the MCAT and said, this is the end, if I wanted to, I would not be here too.
0: Wow. And um, again, I mean, test taking is not something to be ashamed of because so many people, it comes up time and time again that uh, you know these exams, they're testing a lot of non-academic things. And we know that there's a huge ratio and economic bias as well.
1: Uh, yes, yeah, so and- I, I took it to- twice and you are right that the test is doesn't only test knowledge. The test tests how well you can take a test. Oh, and yes, yes. Once you are able to learn the the key strategies of optimizing your test taking, which is to do as many questions as you can lay your hands on. Uh-huh. It truly helps change your experience with the exam. But I agree with you that there's a lot of disparities that exist within standardized testing that needs to be addressed going forward.
0: So, okay. You were, but following those, that, you know, taking the test twice, you got in. And then once I did get in, one
1: thing I feel that was an asset was having friends and study group friends that you could lean on because in medical school, You were learning at such a fast pace, and you thought everything you were learning in undergrad over a whole semester was a lot, and it was challenging. And then you get to medical school, you have to learn it in four to eight weeks—the entire content you covered in one year. It takes it up a notch. And what helped me get through those was having great friends who came together to help each other with mnemonics and songs to try to. Master that content and try to make it through those difficult challenges, and also having times when a test score wasn't what I had imagined it would be or lower than I had wanted. Instead of fe- feeling that if you fail this test, it is a sign that you don't belong, mm-hmm. I kept. To myself, that if you're seeing that there are other doctors out there who are successful and thriving, then it must not be impossible to pass this test. It must not be impossible to go through this hurdle. So just keep trying and just keep pushing on. And those
0: words help me get through the low points. That is uh, excellent advice regarding you know, one, I mean, no man's an island. You you need to have support. And whether that looks like, you know, is just studying with one person or getting a group of people. I mean, it, it there's no way you can get through something as tough as medical school by yourself. And even if you can get through it by yourself, um, you would get so much further if you had the supports process of applying to residency and all of that look like for you. So what is,
1: I knew that I was going to pursue honest and geology. One of the first things I began to work on was my personal statement. and tried to put together the story of how I came to this decision. And I was looking through old emails recently and saw all the email and drafts that I had sent to my sisters. Can you please review this? Help me edit this down. Make sure that it makes sense. So, that entailed figuring out how I was going to tell my story of how I initially found the field of anesthesia, fell in love with it, and what impact I hope to make by being in this role as an anesthesiologist. And then I started to look across the nation to where I would like to train, areas where I could see myself growing and being supported. And once I began the interview process, The things that I was looking for in a program were for me, I wanted a large program. It just seemed to me that if you had a lot of people present in the program, then you would at least find one person that you had something in common with, as opposed to if you had a smaller program. I keep components with I want a program that has more than two two other people in it. Okay. Um, I was not really restricted in geography, I just kind of passed a wide net and where I would go.
0: What I really appreciate about Dr. Ina's story is that importance of first impressions, how that anesthesiologist who served her when she was awaiting her surgery, I mean, I don't know if he ever knew how influential he was in Dr. Ina's life. And although you might not have a story similar to hers as to what brought you Interested in anesthesiology. I mean, you could be that for somebody else just by performing your duties to the highest quality level. You know, you never know what influence you might have over someone else's trajectory. Secondly, I liked that Dr. Ina emphasized that these bumps in the road, and for her, it was taking the MCAT twice, it did not mean in any way that she was not qualified to be an anesthesiologist. That's all a part of the process. Challenges are going to come. And it doesn't mean that it, you're not worthy. All it means is that this is a part of the process. But, um bumps in the road are going to happen. And you have to approach it with the mindset of, you know, how is this working for me? Instead of why is this happening to me? And recognizing that your story, your struggle, your journey is going to be a beacon, a light, and a hope for someone else, someone else down the line that you don't even know yet. So it's so easy for us to get caught up in what's happening right now in front of our face and can get wrapped up in what it is that we want. You know, of course, all of us would want to go through passing our exams without any issue, um, getting through our coursework and residency without the tears, without the anger, without the... You know the the stress, but that's not real. You know what's real is that you're going to feel all kinds of emotions. (laughs) What's real is that we're working with real people during very difficult a very difficult time in their lives, and it takes its toll. And the key is to recognize that these challenges are just a part of the journey, and it's not a punishment. And then thirdly, Dr. Ina mentioned her antidote for the stress that comes and that is establishing a community this comes up over and over and over again Uh, maintaining relationships with family and friends developing relationships throughout your program it's all about relationships and not letting those go to waste in our pursuit for this career path i hope you enjoyed this episode of sivo sisters if you love this episode as much as i did Head on over and rate and subscribe so you don't miss out. New episodes drop every week on a Monday because we all can use a little something, something to get us through the week. Am I right? I'd love to hear more from you on the topics that you want to hear. So let me know in the comments. This is Dr. Peterson signing off. See you next time.